Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome. I'm Rabbi David Lyon from Congregation Beth Israel in Houston. The winter season, the month of December, brings so many expectations for all of us to be hopeful about what the new calendar year will be. Whether Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or another faith tradition inspires us at this season, they generally share at least one common element. It is the hopefulness that comes through generosity that we share with other people, whether they are family and friends or even strangers among us. I've shared with you before that the word charity is a meaningful word to all of us, but its roots can sometimes be misunderstood and when we do understand them, can lead us to fulfill the meaning of it from our own respective faith tradition. Charity comes from a Latin word, which has as its root to give out of love. In Judaism, there's no translation for charity into Hebrew. Rather, charity is understood as tzedakah, and tzedakah can mean justice and righteousness, goodness. If we understand it to mean justice, and we often do, that it means that in places where there is hunger or homelessness, there is no justice. Therefore, an act of tzedakah, an act of righteousness or charity, if we translate it that way, means that we're filling in the gap to bring justice to those who deserve it and need it. And we all deserve it for sure. So we learn in a text, a commentary on the book of Leviticus. In the scale of charity, says the translation, the highest form is to lay hold of a person who is falling and to keep that person from falling and becoming a public charge. It's fascinating. We want to reach out to be sure that the person who is already perhaps on his way down, so to speak, is prevented from falling to the bottom. It's our communal, if not our personal, obligation to reach out to a person who we observe is falling. It could be physically, economically, emotionally, spiritually. There are many ways that we can find a person who needs us and where we can step in and make a difference to keep that person from falling and becoming a public charge. What does that mean? We don't use that term very often today. It sounds rather archaic, but a public charge is somebody who is simply dependent on the community for his well-being and welfare. Now, there are many people who would say, I, I'm not for a welfare state, and we give too much to many people. The truth is that none of those people really want to be in the situation they find themselves in. But for a lack of resources, resilience, industriousness, whatever it might be, probably a lack of mental strength or even education, they find themselves unable to cope with the challenges of a very demanding world around them, locally, let alone worldwide. So to prevent a person from becoming a public charge, dependent on the well-being of the community, means that we extend dignity to that person, opportunity and hopefulness for that person's future. How do we do it? 
the text goes on to tell us. We prevent a person from becoming a public charge, preventing that person from falling by means of a gift, a loan, a partnership, or finding that person some work. Now, very often we do prevent somebody from becoming dependent on the community by solving their financial dilemma. Because economic security is also tied into a sense of personal dignity and strength, the ability to see the future as a place where we can eat and be housed and clothed with respect and participate in the fullness of the community. And if we can find that person work, then I don't have to tell you the conclusion. That person has a means of sustaining himself without having to become dependent again. But it may be a gift or a loan or some partnership that ties our strength to that person to help them over the hump, as it were, to get on with the steps that he needs to take to get where he is going. Such a man, the text tells us, is like a load resting on the top of a wall. As long as it is in its place, one man can take hold of it and keep it there. But once it has fallen to the ground, five men cannot raise it up again. Sounds a little like Humpty Dumpty, but let's not get lost in the message. The truth is that when a person is sitting on top of a wall, as long as that person is secure in his place, one man can take hold of it. Not a problem. He's centered. He's fixed in that place and pretty secure. But once that person has fallen to the ground, it becomes a very complicated chore, a very difficult endeavor. How do we raise that person up again? Not only to sit where he was, but how do we fix all the brokenness that becomes a part of the problem? Why did he fall? Was it hopelessness? Was it fatigue? Was it hunger? Was it a lack of something else? Putting all the pieces together seems much too late in the process. If we can put a person on a wall and we can help that person stay there, it only takes one person to do it. But if he falls, it takes everybody, and we can barely get the job done. So we see a reference to our own community's well-being. If we can sustain people where they are, it really takes much less effort than if they've already fallen. We have to pick up so many broken pieces. Maybe it is like Humpty Dumpty after all. Well, the texts continue to inspire and teach us. And we learn from the Talmud, before a man eats, he has two hearts. He considers another's hunger as well as his own. So our heart is open. We really feel with great compassion another person's hunger because we feel hunger too. It's so simple. When we feel pain, we feel others. And so we have two hearts, the text tells us. But it goes on. After he eats, he has but one heart. That is, he considers only himself and does not believe that his companion is really hungry. How quickly we lose the ability to understand another person's pain. And if hunger is the example, we know it well. About 11.30 in the morning, there are many people who, by virtue of rhythm and routine, begin to know that it's of almost lunchtime, and the hunger continues to grow until maybe you get up and say, who's joining me for lunch? Who else is hungry? It happens every day in offices and other places all the time. But as soon as the hunger is satisfied, 
We're not concerned about others' hunger. We're not concerned about getting the group together to go out and, and have a meal or a drink together. The human mind is so quick to answer our own needs and perhaps even to invite others to join us in an effort to satisfy that personal need. But once we've done it, we move on and we forget. And so the teaching is not to just describe human biology and how we satisfy hunger, but rather to remind ourselves that when we've satisfied our own need, it's not enough. We're not done. There is somebody else who's also hungry still, and our need is to recognize that as long as we've got resources to satisfy everything that we need, there are many others who will never know the kind of satisfaction that we do. So it takes a a special person to feel what needs to be felt even after our own pain and our own hunger is satisfied. It comes up in lots of situations. It isn't only about hunger. It's also about equality. It's about dignity. It's also about peace. And in like any faith tradition, a prayer for peace is the ultimate hope because peace really means the end of hunger, the end of insecurity, the end of homelessness, the end of everything else that keeps us up at night and makes us anxious. The kind of peace that we want for ourselves is ultimately the kind of peace that we should still strive to make happen for others. But it doesn't happen until there is greater equality and greater equity. One of the best examples that I found was in an illustration that demonstrated the difference between equality and equity. There was a fence line, and over the fence a game was being played, and those who stood on the wrong side of the fence wanted to see the game that was being played over there. Equality would suggest that everybody gets a box to stand on. Well, a tall person standing on the box can see over the fence. The shorter person standing on the same size box stands. He has a box, but can't make it still to see over the fence. But equity would identify that the solution is that everybody should have an opportunity to see over the fence and see the game that's being played over there. So the box is a solution. But what kind of box do we provide? A box for the tall person and a box for the short person should be of different sizes in order to help each one in his own way to see over the fence and see the game. That's the difference between equality, everybody getting the same, and equity, giving everybody what he or she needs. It's not always easy to do. But at this season, and at least individually, we need to begin to ask ourselves the question, how we are contributing to a, our community's sense of equality and our community's sense of equity. I'm not even sure if one is better than the other, but I would put my money, so to speak, on equity, to be sure that those who are needing have what they need. And there's a Talmudic teaching that tells us that we should give according to a person's need, not what we think they ought to have, but their need, so that when we're finished in our relationship with them, whether we're giving them money or food or something else, we didn't just give them something we hope they can use, but we've given something that they need. That really does make a difference for them. Then we begin to make it part of our own muscle memory 
that when we're hungry, we eat, and we invite other people who are hungry to eat with us. We join them and we satisfy them, and together we go back to our duties after lunch hour to accomplish our work. But if it were really an understanding of equity, then even after we've been satisfied, we understand what other people need, and we make sure that they get it. I've often taught these lessons, but obviously with a sense of concern that we can be overwhelmed by all the responsibilities that we must bear. So let me remind you that in the mission in the third century, it was written that we are not obligated to fulfill all that needs to be done, but neither are we free to desist from trying. So we need to get up in the morning and ask ourselves new questions in order to arrive at newer, perhaps even better answers. And some of these texts guide us to be sure that we are finding our way to the right question and therefore the right answer. But if we're overwhelmed by the enormity of what we need to accomplish, we might not even begin. So the rabbis of old were wise to instruct us that the obligation is great The day is short, the work is long, and the master, that is God, is waiting. But we are not obligated to do all the work, neither are we free to desist from trying. And therefore, every effort that we can make on our own, and even better in the company of others or organizations that guide us in this work, we really can accomplish quite a bit. I'm Rabbi David Lyon from Congregation Beth Israel in Houston. To listen again or share this message with others, please find it at my podcast. It's called Heart to Heart with Rabbi David Lyon. You can find it at sunny99.com on the iHeartRadio app. The importance of these lessons about charity and giving, especially at this season, help us to step away from the commercialization of the season and focus on what has always been at the heart of it. It is about people. It's about community. It's about well-being that's rooted in our sense of faithfulness, whether we're Jewish or Christian or Muslim, Hindu or Sikh, or even without faith. Secularism, too, would guide us to know that the best community we can share is one that's guided by lessons of old that speak to our humanity, our goodness, and our love. Ultimately, We want something for ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have our gifts that were given to us by virtue of our birth and stature and position and opportunity. Of what we have, what can we give, what can we share to be sure that this season fulfills its promise for all people? And then, when the secular new year begins, the season is not just in the past or forgotten, but becomes part of the very way we wish to live and work and do each and every day in the future. Wouldn't it be nice, perhaps a little idealistic, but certainly filled with hope, that every day can be filled with a glimpse and a a memory of what the month of December and the holiday seasons can help us appreciate and become. Then, when next year comes, we can say that we're already very good at it, and we can lift it up as a celebration of what we become together. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to being with you again next time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.